How do you feel when it comes to rules? <laughs> uh. So when you think of rules, again, don't yell at me, don't talk, don't talk back, but just kind of think through. Like when it, when it comes to rules, do you like rules? Are you kind of a rule follower or do you feel like when you hear of rules, are you naturally, you don't like people telling you what to do. You don't like people telling you how you ought to live, things like that. All right, so show of hands. How many of you guys would, would admit you're a rule follower? All right, and that's a good thing. That's all right. So you follow the rules. Really, all you've got to do is say, hey, I'm not supposed to do that, and that's enough for you. All right, you told me where the line is. I can't cross it, so I'll just stay away from the line. So how many of you guys, you really struggle with bending the rules? All right, whatever rule is, command is, whatever your law, like whatever it is, you really struggle with, you want to bend the rules. All right, so we've got some rule followers in the room, and we've got some rule benders in the room, all right, which is, which is good. So here's what I would say to you. I think our natural tendency is we are a lot more like the rule benders than we are the rule followers. Um, and maybe you rule followers, you know, want to kind of push back on me on that. But I think all of us have, we have that natural tendency within us that whatever the line is, whatever the rule is, we want to push against that, right? Especially if we know that it's not something we're supposed to do. Even if, especially in those moments and situations where we don't know what the purpose of the rule is, or we think the rule's dumb, right? Especially when we're like, this is stupid. Why can't I do this? Therefore, because I don't understand it, or I don't believe that it's a good rule, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on it, right? So maybe, maybe all of us, to a certain extent, are like that. Now, as we continue in this, this story of God that we're looking at, we've come to a really critical point, all right? There are a lot of things that are about to change in the long term for God's chosen people, Israel. And what we're going to discover, especially tonight, is they are a lot more like us, especially those of us that that really don't like rules and it want to push back rules or that find it really hard to walk according to whatever rules are set up for us. All right, so that's where we're going to go tonight. Now, if you guys weren't with us two weeks ago, where we landed, where we ended up, is that God showed up in a miraculous way and delivered his people through plagues and different things like that, delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt. All right. So at the end of those plagues, Pharaoh comes to Moses and he says, take your people and get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. I don't want you in our country. So take your people and go. And so that same night that Pharaoh gave Moses the okay, Israel packed up their stuff and they walked out. They rolled out of Egypt. And so now God's chosen people are now free people. They are no longer in bondage. They are no longer in slavery. And God has shown up and done for them what they had prayed for and what they had asked God to do. And so what ends up happening is they, as they leave Egypt, God is with them and he leads them with a pillar of clouds by day and then a pillar of fire at night. All right, so from the moment they leave Egypt, God is leading them. God's presence is with them. And so you would think that it would be pretty easy for, for Israel to trust God, right? After all the miracles he's done, after all the, the miraculous ways in which he's delivered them out of bondage and slavery, how, how he's answered their prayer. So you'd think it'd be pretty easy to follow them. You'd think that God would have Israel's complete trust. 
And yet, in spite of all the things that God's done, Israel still finds it hard to trust God. And it really starts from the moment that they roll out of Egypt. Because what happens over the next few days after Israel has left, all of a sudden Pharaoh looks around and he goes, why did we just let those people go? Right? And they start shaking their heads and looking at each other and going, what have we just done? Right? It's like I, I hear Jim Carrey's voice going, do you realize what we've done? Get that movie quote? Some of you. The rest of you are missing out. That didn't hit. All right, so it is that moment where like, what have we done? And so Pharaoh looks at his Egyptian soldiers and he goes, hey guys, pack up your stuff. Get the chariots ready because we're going after Egypt or after Israel. We're bringing them back. So here's what happens in Exodus chapter 14. Starting in verse 10, it says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen when we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And I'm reading that and I'm going, who are those people? Because I didn't hear any of that stuff when they were still in Egypt, right? They're crying out to God, God, this is terrible. This is horrible. Why are you letting us rot as slaves in Egypt? Why won't you do something about this? And then God does it and delivers them. And then in that moment where they panic and it looks like Egypt's going to take them back, all of a sudden they start blaming Moses and blaming God. Right? And we start looking at this and before we start thinking, those idiots, like what is their problem? Why do they lack the trust in God? In reality, I don't think you and I are all that different from them. Because how many of us look at our lives and God responded and showed up in a powerful way yesterday. And yet today's got a whole new set of challenges. And today's got a whole new set of problems. And today, all of a sudden, the fear creeps back in and we forget what God did yesterday. And all we see is today and we wonder, God, can you really help me today? And that's exactly what Israel's doing. And Israel's real enemy was not the Egyptian army. Israel's real enemy was their own lack of trust in God. That was their biggest enemy. That was their biggest fight is not what Egypt was doing, not what Pharaoh was doing, is do they trust God or not? And so in the moment of them panicking and blaming God and questioning Moses, Moses steps up and he brings calm to the people. And here's what he says in verse 13. He says, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. Dang, that's a strong statement. The Lord himself will fight for you, so just stay calm. So Israel, at this point, they have kind of run up to the, to the edge of the Red Sea. All right, so they've got this gigantic sea on one end with nowhere to go. And then they look behind them and Pharaoh and his army are coming at them. And so it really does seem like an impossible situation. Except for the fact that God's with them. And so God looks at Moses and he says, all right, Moses, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to walk to the edge of this Red Sea that you're standing up against. And I want you to lift your staff over the sea. And so Moses takes out his staff as God commands. And when he does that, God sends this wind and it parts the sea in two. And there's a wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right. And then God causes this, the seabed to dry up and he allows Israel to walk across the sea to the other side. So Pharaoh looks at this and he lacks a little bit of common sense because he's like, hey, I don't really care that there's obviously something supernatural going on here. But I don't really care, right? God's, uh, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so they chase after Israel. And at the moment that the last Israelite's foot touches the dry land on the other side of the Red Sea, God commands the sea to go back to normal. And it completely annihilates the entire Egyptian army. Now this story is too good just for us to kind of imagine that. All right, I want you to really picture what that would be like. You are a part of the, the Israelite people, God's chosen people, and you watch this take place before, before you. Now, to help us visualize it, I want to bring back the good old-fashioned Prince of Egypt. All right, so if you've never, again, if you've never seen this scene, this will help us visualize this. And as you're watching this scene, I want you to imagine yourself actually witnessing this event take place. Go ahead and watch this. Man, I don't know about you, but I get goosebumps watching that scene. I know it's just a cartoon, but we look at that and sometimes we have these, these stories that we read about or we watch that and we go, man, what a cool fairy tale. And yet, man, to, to be put in that situation, just imagine yourself standing there on the edge of that water and watching God do that miracle. So incredible, so unbelievable. And at the other side of that, as you and I would probably do as we watch that before our very eyes, it says that Israel and Moses break out into worship, right? Of course they do. They break out into a song of deliverance, a song of worship to God. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 13, they say, with your unfailing love, you lead the people that you have redeemed, what an amazing picture of God's heart for his people and him leading the way and protecting and providing for them. And so you see that and you would think, man, it's, at this point, like, how could you doubt God? How could you not trust God? You just watched God part the Red Sea and you walked across and then right as you get on the other side, he brings it back to normal. And yet as we're about to find out for the rest of the book of Exodus, what Israel proves is that in spite of seeing those miraculous things that God did, they still really struggle with trusting God. So they begin to head towards the promised land. And they get out into the wilderness and they start complaining. We have nothing to drink out here, right? Yeah, it's the desert. So they complain and so God leads them to water. At another point they complain to Moses again. And so God commands Moses to take his staff and hit a rock. And God causes water to come out of the rock in order to quench their thirst. At another point, they have nothing to eat. So they start complaining to Moses, we have nothing to eat. Why'd you bring us out here in this desert to die? And so God causes this thing called manna to fall from the sky, 
where they would go each day and gather it up and it would be enough for, to feed them every single day in the wilderness. And he leads them all the way up right to the edge of this mountain called Mount Sinai. So they stop there and they set up camp and then God calls Moses up to the mountain. And for the next 40 days and 40 nights, God meets with Moses and Moses has a chance to meet with God in his presence. And over the course of that time, as Moses is meeting with God, God does something significant in this story, something that we alluded to a little bit earlier. He gives them rules. He gives them these commands. Now you say, why, why would God do that? Why is that important at this part in the story for God to start laying out all these rules and commands? So up to this point, Israel has not been its own people, right? They've been in captivity in Egypt. And so they have not had rules to govern them. They have no system to, in order to govern themselves. And so God determines that his people need rules and commands to help do that. Now, some rules and commands you and I hear in life, we sometimes hear and we go, that's lame, right? What's the purpose behind that? That has no purpose. That's stupid. But for God's commands, those, these rules and these commands have purpose. And so these commands, what they do is they would reflect the character of God. And what they would do is that by following them, it would prove that Israel was God's chosen people. And it really would set them apart from every other people group on the planet. And not only that, but these rules and these commands that God gave were given to lead them to life. So the first part of our main, our main point tonight is that, is that God gives commands to help us experience life. All right, the rules, every rule and command and things that God causes us to live out are not to restrict life, but rather for us to experience life. And so that's what God is up to here. That's what he's trying to do. And so he lays out, as he's talking to Moses, he lays out all these commands and these rules and different things. And one of the, at, at the forefront of it are these, these 10 commandments, right? Now you and, I, you and I have heard about these. Maybe you know songs or whatever to memorize them. If you grew up in Sunday school or whatever, you've heard these 10 commandments. Maybe you've seen them, you know, on a, on a wall at a government building or you've seen them somewhere around, right? You've heard of the 10 commandments. And so here are the 10, any other God you have, there is no other God besides me. Number two, do not make idols or worship anything other than God. So you're to worship nothing else except for me. Number three, do not take God's name lightly. So the first three rules these ten, of these Ten Commandments that God gives directly relate to Israel's relationship with God, all right, and who God is supposed to be in their life. Number four, then he rolls out, he says, keep this Sabbath, keep this Sabbath as a day of rest. On the seventh day, when God was creating the world, he rested, and so he, he commands them to do the same thing as a Sabbath, as a day of rest. Number five, honor your father and mother, something that we do really well. Uh, number six, do not murder, which hopefully you guys have not done that. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not lie. And number 10, do not be jealous of what other people have. All right, so these are those, the 10 commandments. And he gives all these other different rules and commands and things like that. But this is at the forefront, all right? These are the most important. These are the things that are to be kept in front of Israel in order to help govern them. 
Now, not only as God was meeting with Moses, not only did he give these commandments, but he also gave Moses a system of how Israel could be forgiven in those moments where they sinned and how they could remain God's chosen people even if they broke one of those Ten Commandments. Now look, God is not all about lording over a bunch of rules and regulations and commands for his people. All right, That's not the purpose that God, God does this for. All right, what God wants to do is that close connection that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden that sin had broken. All right, so these commands reflect God's character and God's heart. And by us walking in these commands and by Israel walking in these commands, it brings them closer to that relationship that God wants. It brings them closer to that relationship that God wants to, to reestablish that sin had broken. All right, that's the purpose for these rules. That's what God's trying to accomplish. So there's two things at work in this time frame, from the moment that Israel stepped foot out of the land of Egypt up until this point that they're standing at the base of the mountain of Mount Sinai. There's two things that we see at work, all right, that I think are really important for us to talk to. Here's the first thing. The first thing we see is that God is providing for his people. God's providing for his people. So he leads them out of Egypt by a cloud of fire. He parts the Red Sea and allows them to cross. He provides manna from heaven when they're hungry. He makes water come from rocks in the desert when they're thirsty. He speaks to the people. He gives them commands to help them live. Right, Every step of the way, as, as Israel is walking out and following after God, God is providing for his people. That's the heart of God for Israel, and that's the heart of God for you and me. God, every step of the way in this story that we find ourselves in, God is our provider. That's what God wants to, us to see him as, is the one who provides for our needs, the one who meets us in situations and moments, in things that we're wondering how we're going to But here's the second thing we see. As we see God providing for his people, we also see his people turning their backs on God. So they doubt his ability to help them. They complain about their situation constantly to help them. They complain about their situation constantly. They disobey these commands from the moment God gives them to them. And they even begin immediately to create other gods and idols to worship. And you look at that and go, where, where is that in the story? Well, as Moses and God are meeting on the mountain of Mount Sinai... Israel's immediately up to no good down below. So look at what happens in Exodus chapter 32. It says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What the crap is wrong with these people? 
Maybe that's just me thinking that. Like, are these, God, are these people psychotic? They literally just have watched God do the impossible. Every step of the way, God is providing for whatever needs, even in the moment of their complaints. And then when God disappears for a few days, all the while laying out his heart and direction for his people, they have immediately completely turned their back on God, created these false gods out of gold and started bowing down and worshiping them and giving all these other gods that they just created credit for what God alone has done for them. And as you might expect, God gets a little bit ticked off about that. So Moses comes down the mountain and he's holding the Ten Commandments that God has just given them. And he looks down on, in the valley, the base of the mountain, and he sees this, this idol that they've created and they start worshiping. And so he gets ticked and he slams the Ten Commandments down on the mountain and breaks them apart. And he walks down and he basically says, what the heck are you guys doing and he grabs the golden calf and he melts the gold down and he mixes it with water and then he makes the people drink it. Flex Moses. Like crazy that Moses is just fed up. God's fed up. But this is what Israel does. And every step of the way, they turn their back on God. And no matter what rule and command, and this was just the starting point. This was one of the biggest things, but as you follow through the rest of the book of Exodus, it's just one thing after another of complaint, of disobedience, of turning their back on God, of doing whatever it is that they want to do. I'm just going to make you wander around in this desert for the next 40 years. Rather than me taking you to the promised land that I've got prepared for you, because you just want to do your own thing, I'm just going to let you wander out, of, out here. So for the next 40 years, until every part of that generation of, Israelite, of the Israelite people who had turned their back and disobeyed God, until every single one of them had died, Israel wandered in the desert. And so what God said is, fine, none of you will get a chance to experience my promised land that I've got prepared for you. Now you look at that and go, all right, so what's the point? In reality, you and I are not, are very, actually very similar to Israel. I know we look at that and we go, I can't believe that they would disobey God. I can't believe that they wouldn't trust God. I can't believe that after all that God had done for them, that they turned their back on God again. And yet the truth is, are you and I very similar to that? God lays out these commands and these things that he has for us and the way that he wants us to live our lives that leads us to experience life. And we go, nah, you know what? I think I'm going to do my own thing. Or God, I'll follow you for a certain amount of time. And then, you know, we get distracted by something else that comes along and we go, you know what? Man, I I think I'd much rather worship that. And then we kind of come back to God and we follow him for a season and then we kind of get distracted again. Right? I mean, you and I aren't that different from Israel. And God's laying out all these commands and God's showing his heart to his people. And yet the truth is, is that our human heart is prone to wander. We're prone to do our own thing. We're prone to turn our back on God. We're prone to, do, to disobey the commands that God has for us. And these commands that were meant to give us life or lead us to experience life. 
as God had established them to do, what it actually proves and what God is, is proving to Israel and to us as well is that something else needs to be done. That commands alone are not good enough. They're not enough for people whose hearts are wayward to follow in complete obedience to. And what God is ultimately setting up is, you know what needs to take place? Is it's going to require a change of heart. I'm going to have to do something beyond just give a bunch of rules and commands in order for my people to follow after me. But here's how you and I are different than Israel. Because God does something later on in the story that you and I benefit from that Israel didn't. And what these rules and these commands were powerless to do, Jesus steps into the story. And Jesus says, you know what? You're never going to be made right with me by following rules and commands. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you right. In spite of your sin, in spite of you turning your back on me, I'm going to step into the story and I'm going to give up my life for you. And for anyone that trusts in me as your savior, I'm going to change your heart. And now all of a sudden, because your heart has been changed, you've now got a desire to follow after me. And so where you and I benefit from this story is that Jesus does something extra. This is just a temporary fix for Israel that's going to lead ultimately to Jesus stepping onto the scene and doing permanently what the commands could only do temporarily. But in spite of that, these commands are still important. And these things that God has given us, they still reflect God's heart and they still help us experience life. But because of what Jesus has done, there's a second part to the main point. So God's commands to help us follow the commands. So God gives us these commands so that we can experience life. But because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, God has changed our heart and now the Holy Spirit empowers us to follow after God. Holy Spirit empowers us to follow after God. So my question to you tonight is, as we stand here in the story and we look at this and go, man, the truth is I'm not all that different from Israel. And maybe there's situations that you find yourself in. Maybe there's temptations that you look at and you go, man, it is really hard for me to walk in obedience to God. Man, I, seem like, I can't seem like I can get over this struggle. Man, the desires there, like I want to love God and I want to follow after him, but man, all my friends keep pulling me off track. Or it's really hard in my family to live that out because I'm the only Christian. Or it's really hard on my school campus because I feel like I'm the only one. It's so easy for me to get pulled into those temptations and those things that exist around me. And we find ourselves a lot like those people in the story who may want to follow after God and yet it just seems like we keep falling time after time after the same struggles. And so the key for us is not trying harder. It's not forcing ourselves. It's understanding what Jesus has done for us. 
that now we can depend on God inside of us if we've trusted him as our savior to help us live out those, those commands and those laws. The key for us is not trying harder. The key is to go, God, I can't do it. God, I cannot, no matter how hard I try, I cannot follow after you the way that I know you want me to. God, I need you to help me. I need you to give me the strength and the power. And the moment for you and I, where we stop trying harder in our own strength, but rather we turn the keys over to God and we surrender to him and we ask him to empower us. That's what makes all the difference. So no matter where we're at in our spiritual journey, whether we feel like we're young in our faith, no matter whether we feel like we've been walking with God for a period of time, the truth is these commands and things that God's given to us can only be lived out as we look to God, as we trust him, as we depend on the Holy Spirit and the power that he gives us. So do you look at this story? Do you see the love of God in this story? Do you see a God who loves you enough that in spite of our constant struggle, our constant tripping up over the same struggles and the same temptations, and rather than just go, you know what, forget the whole thing. But Jesus goes, you know what, I'm gonna take it a step further. And I'm gonna give you the power to overcome it. I'm gonna put my spirit inside of you to help you live out the life that I've called you to. Because I love you that much. That Jesus is with us, that Jesus is for us. That God stepped into our story and into our junk and into our mess and into our struggles. And he says, let me help you. Let me help you follow after me. Let me help you lead you to life. And if you will just trust me, if you will depend on me, then I will help you overcome these temptations. I will help you overcome these struggles. And I will lead you, just like I led Israel through that Red Sea, I will lead you through those struggles, through the power of the Spirit inside of you. Let's pray together. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're in the room tonight and you've never come to a place in your life where you've put your faith power to live out a bunch of rules and commands. And it's powerless to reconnect you back to Jesus. And what this Old Testament story proves, what Israel proves is that they were powerless on their own to follow after God. And you and I, apart from Jesus stepping into our life and forgiving us and making us right with God and then empowering us to live the life that he's called us to live, you and I have no hope. And so if you're in the room tonight and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your savior, that is your starting point. If you're sick and tired of the struggles, if you're sick and tired of walking through the same temptations, if you're sick and tired of, of feeling like you're at your wits end, not being able to live out what, who God's called you to be, it's a matter of you taking that step and making that decision and asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin to make you right with himself. And you can do that right where you sit tonight. If you and I have put our faith and trust in Jesus as Savior, it's about depending on him. 
It's about allowing him to step into our story and to help us every single day to bring those struggles and those things to him and say, God, would you help me with this? I cannot overcome it on my own. Maybe the desire's there. So now we've got to depend on God's power to help us live it out. God, I pray for all of us in the room tonight who are much more like Israel than sometimes we care to admit. God, I pray that you would bring us to a point, do our own thing and live in disobedience to you. And we want to live the way that we want to live. And yet, God, your desire for us and the true way to experience life is to be reconnected to you, to depend on you, to trust you, the author of our story. God, I pray if students in the room tonight have God, I pray if students in the room tonight have never taken that step, God, that they would do that tonight before they leave. God, right now that they would call out to you, they would trust you as their savior, admit their sin, and receive that gift of forgiveness that you offer. Talk to their small group leader when they go to groups. God, I pray that you would help all of us to use Israel's example as what we need to do every day. God, thank you that you love us enough that you stepped into our story and brought deliverance. God, may we experience that every day in all the struggles and the temptations that we face so that we can follow after you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.